0: Father, we do uh, thank you once again, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather together. And Lord, as we think about uh, this weekend and tomorrow and what's celebrated this uh, event called Memorial Day, Lord, we thank you for all of the the countless lives that uh, Lord were given so that we could have freedom. And God, we just we praise you for those men and women who gave themselves moms and dads, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, who willingly, Lord, went and, and uh, gave the ultimate so that we could have the freedom here today to gather together. And we, we do thank you. We want to recognize that. We want to take time to remember that. And, Lord, not be a, a, a group, a country that just grows cold and callous toward that, but God, let it be something that we hold in high respect. And Father, as we do open up your word and read about your confrontation, Lord, with those who decided to question you and decided to come against you, I pray that, that Lord, it would speak to our hearts. Maybe there's some here today who uh, even question anything about you or maybe some of us who have walked with you have begun to question you. Lord, I pray that as we see you answer in, in such a, a clear way, God, that it would, it would motivate us. Lord, to know you more, to love you more, to serve you, to lift up the name of Jesus in, in, in our families and in our community. And we pray these things in Jesus' name amen hey as we're looking here uh we're gonna check out a couple parables three parables today and the interesting thing is they all have to do with authority if you remember when we left off last week if you were here with us the pharisees have questioned jesus authority and they came pretty hard against him remember they said who are you right i'm gonna paraphrase it who do you think you are and who gave you permission to do what you're doing And now we're going to see Jesus answer them in a really unique way, but I think in a very clear way. And bottom line, he's going to let them know, this is exactly who I am, and you are going to be accountable to me, whether you like it or not. And so, listen, as we think about that, for some of us, it's important that we recognize, you know, authority, and and as I said last week, as we we began this, some of us have a harder time with authority than others. Some of us are a little bit more rebellious than others, and we kind of like to push against it, but I think we all, at times, question authority, and, and, you know, you may not question ultimate authority, but you question authority in your life, and, and we need to come to grips with that, and especially if we question the authority of Jesus Christ so to keep it in context remember this is the last week of his life this is Tuesday or Wednesday depending on your the way you you time things out as he's come you know he came in a triumphal entry and so listen as he's doing that he knows he's gonna die so in some ways he's got nothing to lose right and everything to gain so they said, who are you? And he said, you know, who are you? Who gave you this permission? And he said, hey, let me ask you one question. And you answer my question, I'll answer your question. John the Baptist. Was he from man or was he from God? And that's when they chickened out, right? So let's, let's look at verse 27, then we'll get into verse 28 because all of this came together. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir but he didn't go. So Jesus, listen, he asked them by what authority or, or who gave John the Baptist his authority. They wouldn't answer it. Now here's the thing. Jesus isn't gonna answer by what authority he came, but he's gonna answer by what authority John came which then answers by what authority he came. So he gives them just a simple, simple parable, and this isn't, listen, this isn't a real hard one to figure out, is it? I think all of us are like, well, that one's pretty, you know, sometimes I know as Jesus would speak in parables, some people get a little bit freaked out, but remember, a parable is something to come alongside and illustrate a truth. We've talked about it before. So he's illustrating something, and so he asks them a really simple question. You got two boys, you go to him and say, hey, could you go out and work in the field? The one says, no, nah, ain't going, forget it. And then later on, he gets bummed out and realizes he needs to go do it, and he does it. And the other one, the other one says, oh, of course I'll go, kind of one of those, like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say, but <laughs> it'll date me. So, <laughs> so listen, then he comes, remember Wally? Yeah, some of you do, huh? Remember Wally? Yeah, so if, if you don't Google Wally so yes Mrs. Cleaver but anyway so so listen And this guy goes sure I'll go and I love it he goes yes sir I will go do it and he doesn't so Jesus lays that out and then and then you know after he does it he asks them right he comes to them verse 31 and he says which of the two did the will of his father now I'm thinking they're going don't read on I'm thinking they're going duh right I mean not a hard one Really? It's not one that you can't figure out. So which of the two? And here's what I love, is Jesus is making them answer their own question. Without them, I think, realizing they're answering their question. So again, get the scene. All these guys are around him. And they're trying to, listen, they're trying to get him. And Jesus is saying, okay, man, you want to play, play this game? You're going to get got." As we play this game, so which of them did the will of his father? They said to him in the middle of verse 31 The first. And then Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Woo, woo. I mean, can you imagine saying that? to religious people hey we're talking about the elite of religious people we're talking about the upper echelon we're talking about the guys who have memorized scripture most of them memorize the entire old testament most of us don't even memorize two verses of the old testament much less the entire old testament hey these are the top of the top of the top and here's what he just said to them and i'm going to put it in in kind of a weird vernacular but here's what he just said the scum is going to enter heaven before you guys, because that's what they thought of tax collectors. They hated tax collectors. They were immoral. They were cheaters. They were liars. They did everything they could to get stuff. And listen, man, he just said those guys are going to go to heaven, and the hookers. Now that's got to hit some. That's got to hit them pretty deep, don't you think? I like to use that term because some of us like, you know, hey, don't clean this up. This is intense. And Jesus just said that. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking right now, man, there's got to be smoke coming out of ears, And these guys got to, I mean, this has got to be like the uh, end for them, right? I can't, he just said that. And I think they're like glaring at him. They might even be growling at him. They might be gnashing their teeth. And then, and then he says, look at verse 32. Here's the answer. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him but tax collectors and harlots believed him and when you saw it you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Here's what he's saying. What does he say? Who sent John? He says John came in the way of righteousness. He's told him who sent John, didn't he? John came in the way, and here's what they know. They all know that. They know what happened. They were out there. They watched John. They saw what he did. They saw what happened. And here's the amazing thing, man. Hey, he says, the harlots and the tax collectors, they came and they repented when they heard John, and they received. And he goes, yeah, you looked at it, and you scowled, and you were angry. One thing I found is religious people don't like other people getting saved. I've never figured that out. It's like weird, right? It's like, man, why doesn't everybody, I don't know about you guys, but I want everybody to get saved. I don't look at some people and go, sorry. (laughs) I know people did that to me kind of before, so I don't want to do it to somebody, you're not allowed, you're kind of one of those. And hey, here's what he's saying, man, those guys got saved and it did nothing to your heart, nothing. Now I believe part of this Jesus is teaching them and us about the beauty and the the, the awesome gift of repentance. And often as Christians, some Christians, I don't like that word. I think repentance is one of the most beautiful words there is and one of the greatest gifts we've been given. We can repent from our sin and we can be changed. And he's saying, look at these guys were changed, tax collectors. I'm thinking, if he, I wonder if he pointed to Matthew when he said that. Matthew had to be hanging out there, right? And Matthew was changed radically. And, and so listen, man, he lets them know, and yet you guys, you refuse to repent. And that's why they're going to go and enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God before you now notice he didn't say instead of you he kind of he keeps the door open right before you so listen I think I think now I think now man it's like tipping over and there's a little bit going crazy there and they got to be they got to be pretty uptight about what's going on but he's not done Here's what I love, man. So I believe, listen, I believe he said that. Maybe maybe did the the pause, you know, the dramatic pause for a moment and then went right on. Verse 33, hear another parable. So listen, man, he said that and they're kind of like, and he goes, oh, wait, I'm not done. Got another parable. Let me tell you another parable, you know. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it Dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and he leased the he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now I want to pause for a moment because what you know for them this made a lot of sense. Most of us we don't even you know, we're we're, we're living in Service and we don't grow, we'll grow grapes and we don't live in vineyards. But hey, for them, man, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They were an agrarian uh, uh, culture, and so that's why he would use these terms and these things and, and it would speak to them but even more than that listen for homework read isaiah chapter 5 remember remember his audience who's he talking to pharisees what were pharisees they were experts in the law they knew the word And I think the minute, the minute he spoke this and talked about the vineyard and talked about the tower and talked about the hedge around it and talked about the wine press, their minds went to Isaiah chapter 5. It had to go there. They had to be familiar with it and they had to, I think, listen, I think as that clicked in their minds, they probably went, oh, no. Because that doesn't have a great ending for Israel. And this one, listen, so he know, they know he's talking about the nation of Israel. That's what he's talking about. So let's read verse 34. It says, now when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. And he, sent, uh, and he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and they cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Now that's a pretty intense story, right? I mean, listen. I mean, I'm thinking they're hearing it and they're going, "Here's what they know. They know Isaiah chapter five, and here's what else they know: that Israel killed the prophets. They read some of the history about the prophets." And what happened to them and the way they treated them and what went down. Read uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith and how it talks about what they did to some of the prophets. And hey, Jesus just laid that out for them. So th- here's what I'm thinking. They're, they're knowing this is about them. And I think their minds are going, son, son. And he's claiming to be the Messiah. They know. Hey, they know he already made that declaration on the Messiah. He wrote in the triumphal entry, hey, it's a done deal. And they got to be thinking, man, he is claiming that. And now they're saying they're going to kill the son. And here's what they're, they were thinking like 10 minutes ago. We got to kill this guy. And now listen, this premeditated, horrible, horrible treatment of another. So Jesus lays that out and looks at them. And I always love it. Again, he's asking them to answer it. Verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And they said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Listen, man, they give the right answer, right? I mean, they're right there with it. Whenever I read this parable and 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 Jesus speaks to them, I'm taken back to David and Nathan. Remember? Remember, I I love that story. David has committed adultery and murder. He's pretty comfortable because God hasn't done anything to him yet. He's thinking it's okay. And Nathan the prophet comes. I love it, don't you? Nathan the prophet comes. He goes, hey, bro, let me tell you a story. And most of us know that story, right? Let me tell you a story. There's a guy he had this sweet little lamb and they loved that lamb. and his kids played with the lamb. The lamb even ate at their table. It was like a pet. They, they, you know, had it at the table. They loved it. And they had a neighbor and he was really rich and he had flocks upon flocks and he had hundreds, thousands of sheep. And he came one day and he took the neighbor's little lamb to feed to a friend who came for dinner. That's Pat's paraphrase. And he said, David, what do you think? What do you think about that? Remember that? And here's what, here's what I think. Man, I think, I think Nathan was being broken and honest. He goes, what do you think about that? Jesus tells them this story. What do you guys think? Here's what I'm thinking. They should be going ding, 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 ding. Like, oh, No. And especially after the words come out of their mouth, because what did David, David answered very similar, right? David said, that guy ought to be killed. Now now listen, there was a different punishment for stealing a guy's sheep, and it wasn't the death penalty. But David went over the top, and then, I love it, man. Nathan goes, hey, bro, you're the man. I don't think he'd like, you're the man. (laughs) I think he went, man, you're the man. I think he was broken, And remember that broke David. Do you think maybe Jesus is maybe thinking this might break them? This might like get them in that place where after that comes out of their mouth, that guy, you know, he needs to go kill those people and take it away from them. Don't you think he's like hoping that it would just break their hearts and they would go, oh, that's us. That's what we're doing. But it doesn't. They just like, that's their answer and they're ready and then Jesus isn't done. Verse 42, then Jesus said to them, my favorite thing, Jesus tells Pharisees, have you never read your Bibles? I love it when he does that. Listen, man, it gets, it's like, again, we're talking to the experts. You know, it'd be like you going to somebody that's like an expert in, in Hebrew and go, you ever read the Old Testament? You know, do you ever read your Bible? And I love it, man. Hey, do you guys ever read your Bible? And then he, look at what he quotes. He says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and is marvelous in our eyes. Now, I gotta, I gotta be really honest. Do you read this parable? when you're doing your Bible reading and you're going through and you read this and you read the, you know, they say what to do and and, uh, the guys say they need to kill him and give it to other vine dressers and take care of it that way. And then Jesus quotes this. Do you ever go, I don't get the connection? Because it doesn't make a lot of sense unless we remember the context. Just a few days ago, Jesus came riding in on a donkey. Do you remember? And what did the people shout? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to him who comes in the name of the Lord. And they quoted Psalm 118. Do you know what Jesus just quoted? Psalm 118. You see, he just continued that whole thought. And as he put Psalm 118 together with what was said about him before, and now they're saying that, listen, man, again, this should have rung some bells, should have opened up their eyes, and they should have understood. And, you know, here's what scares me as someone who studies the Bible all the time. I don't want to be somebody who studies it all the time, and I get so into it that I miss the reality of what's going on. Because these guys were experts but they're missing the whole reality, especially when Jesus quotes this to them. Again, they should have went, oh, no. And he says, the stone the builders rejected. Now, what I love is, remember his 12 were with him? And there was one apostle that picked up on this. His name's Peter. In Acts chapter four, you can, you can check this out for homework if you want. Acts chapter four, Peter quotes the same passage to religious people. And then in in First Peter two, he he again repeats this same scripture. Hey, it hit Pete's heart. It maybe didn't hit their heart, but it hit Pete's heart. And here's what Jesus is saying: You're rejecting the cornerstone. You're rejecting the one that the Lord has brought. Remember a cornerstone. If you don't know a cornerstone, and there's argument, was the cornerstone the cornerstone that they laid? To build upon everything, which makes sense. If it's not done right, the building's not going to be right. Or was it the capstone, the very top stone, that kind of kept everything together? I don't care. People go, I had to be one. I don't care. You can pick one. They're both the important stones. So don't get caught up in things like that. So listen, but Jesus says it's the one everybody rejected, the stone everyone rejected, and then it became this chief stone. And he goes on, therefore... I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Oh, 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 wow. So you just got told that tax collectors and hookers are going to go to heaven before you. That was bad. And now you just got told point blank. See, this isn't part of the parables. These are, these are what Jesus is trying to tell them. Remember, who do you think you are? Well, I'll tell you who I am. And you guys are in a heap of trouble. And then he just told them, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you and given to, I don't like the interpretation nation. The word there is ethnos. I think it's better to say, and given to another people because it wasn't given to a nation. Do you remember? Do you remember the whole purpose of Israel? I think sometimes we forget that. What was the whole purpose of of the nation of Israel? The whole purpose of the nation of Israel was this, to glorify God. That's why he hey That's why he called them out. That's why he delivered them from Egypt. That's why he set them up where he set them up. Hey, he put them in a place where all of the world focuses on this stupid little strip of land in the Middle East that doesn't have oil, doesn't have gold, doesn't have anything, and everybody's focused on it. Why? Because God chose that place, and he put this nation there so that they could glorify him and bring him honor, and they failed miserably. That's why they exist. And he says, God's gonna take that from you and he's gonna give it to a people. And now the people, that's us, we exist. Why do we exist as a church? So we can gather together and tell each other how great we are? We exist, why? To glorify God and to let the world know how great our God is. And he says, hey, he's gonna take the kingdom from you guys, pay attention. Now, it's not permanent. For those who want to do away with Israel permanently, you got to read Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's not permanent; it's for a time. And he says he's going to take it away, and then he tells them, verse 44: Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whom it uh, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. That's pretty intense. He's letting them know something that's very important. Hey, if you come to Jesus and you fall on him in brokenness, you're going to be fine. Didn't we kind of sing that this morning? And you're broken and you're fine. But you reject Daniel chapter two. That's another homework thing. Man, you guys got a lot of homework. Good day, good thing it's three-day weekend. Daniel chapter two, remember Daniel chapter two and the... The stone that was built without hands comes out. You gotta read the whole thing. I'm not gonna go through the whole, the whole statue and Daniel and all that. You gotta read it for excitement. But the stone comes and crushes. And Jesus is letting them know, listen man, you can either fall on the stone or have the stone come down on you. But it's coming. Then they... Verse 45, now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, I think the last two, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Good perception. Yes, they figured it out. And it says, listen... But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Now, again, get the scene. I I don't know. I I think this took some place took place someplace in the temple area. And hey, remember he had overturned the money changer tables, he'd cleaned all that up and and all that stuff's going down. And now this this bantering is going. And I think they're they're like, Man, if we could just grab this guy, but look at there's all these people around, if it just wasn't so public, if we can get him private. And I think they're talking to each other about how can we get him and how can we take him away and Jesus is saying wait 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 I'm not done right they want to kill him and Jesus answered in, in chapter 22 verse 1 Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables so listen man. A, a, a bad chapter break all of this is taking place in one in one setting hey who are you and who gave you this authority let me tell you who I am There was a guy who had two sons. Let me tell you who I am. There was a guy who had a vineyard, leased it to people. Oh, now I'm not done. One more, one more, because you guys seem a little bit, maybe a little bit confused. There's one more. So Jesus again spoke to them in parables and said, verse two, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Now, now a little bit about Jewish weddings. So just, we're not gonna go real in depth because it'd take us all, all day. But uh, you know, just something you know. Their weddings were not a one day event. Now, weddings today are a one day event unless you're the, the, the father of the bride and it's a lifetime event, but it's, it's a, it's a one day event, right? It all culminates in that wedding day and the reception and everything. For a Jewish family, it was a, a, a seven day event, it was lengthy. And you would be invited to this feast, and you would feast for seven days now that sounds like fun to me if I'm not the father's bride or the bride or, the fa- or whatever the father of the bride whatever I'm trying to say if I'm not that guy if I'm not paying for it sounds like fun right then it sound like fun and then think about this so so listen that's just kind of the background and you would invite people way ahead and you would say hey it's coming but you wouldn't have a date so, but you would have all these invitations out, and then when the day came, you would send a messenger, "Hey, the wedding's happening! Come on!" And they had they had notice, right? So here's what this guy and imagine this is a king. How many of us would love to go to a royal wedding? I love weddings. I'd love to go to. I mean, even in our generation, man, wouldn't you want to go to one of the royal weddings? All the pomp and all the circumstance and everything going on. I would like to do a royal wedding. I think it'd be a ball. But listen, man, all that happening. And you got invited to a royal wedding and he sends, hey, he sends his servants out. It's happening. And they go, oh, you know what, we're kind of busy. We're kinda, we got things going on. And they didn't come. I mean, does that blow your mind? They were unwilling to come. So this is the dad. This is the king. Verse four, again, he sent out, here's what I'm thinking, he's thinking, maybe I didn't make it real clear that this is like a feast feast. Like this is gonna be a ball, right? So he sent out, listen, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat, the fatted cattle are killed, and all the things are ready. Come to the wedding, do you hear how we got more details now? Hey, he sent them out, he goes, man, tell them that I'm, this whole big feast is happening. And here's what happens. Verse five, but they made light of it and they went their own way, some to his farm, others to his business. They're going, man, we just got things to do. We're not interested in your wedding, dorks. And then others, verse six, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. Pretty intense, huh? But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Hmm. Sounds like a little bit about prophecy going on there, huh? That Jesus is letting them know what's coming. And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Now, a little side note, because I want to I make it clear. The only way those people were worthy to come to the wedding were by the invitation. That's what made them worthy. They weren't worthy in themselves. It was the invitation. Once they refused the invitation, they're no longer worthy to come to the wedding. And I think it's important we understand that. So hey, man, listen. He says, hey, they don't want to come. Then they're not worthy. They can't come. Therefore, verse nine, go to the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways, gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now it sounds like, man, now it sounds like the king is out there, and he's going, yes! Look at all these people enjoying themselves. All these people are here. And they came to the wedding. And then all of a sudden, I can see him kind of scanning the thing, and then all of a sudden, he's going, uh-oh. But he looks, and he sees, and there's something wrong. And he's all joyous to he sees the one thing. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw that there was a man who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, I like that. How did you come in here without a wedding garment? And it says, and the man was speechless. Now here's what you need to know. From that, We can deduce that the king supplied the wedding garments. Otherwise, the guy could have an excuse. I didn't have the right clothes. But the king dressed them. He gave them everything they needed to come to the wedding. Sound kind of familiar? We're all invited to a wedding feast. Everyone's invited. Everybody. Are you going to go? Got the right clothes? Going to wear the right thing? You see, there's only one place we can get the clothes, and the clothes are the righteousness of Christ. And he dresses us. He gives us everything we need for the wedding. All we have to do is show up, right? Accept it. And I love, listen, man, I love this story. And the guy says, oh, I don't know. Hey, for homework again, one more thing. Read Isaiah 61, especially 61.10, because it talks about how you get those clothes. And now, listen, man, now the guy is there and, and, and this guy is sticking out and he's like speechless and he doesn't give an answer. And again, I think if it was up to him to dress himself, he could say, I didn't have the clothes, how was I supposed to get the clothes? But he's speechless, why? Because he tried sneaking in. You need to know something, there ain't no sneaking into heaven. You can't sneak. You're either gonna have the clothes or not have the clothes. And then, this is not the good news, Verse 12, or verse 13. And the king said to his servants, bind him, hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. What's interesting about this parable, Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, what do you think? Because I think they got it. Again, not real difficult to understand what's going on. And I think they understood it. And whenever I think of that wedding feast you and I are invited to, it's called the married supper of the lamb. And he invites us, we have the opportunity to go or not go. The choice is yours, but the invitation's out there. You see what I'm saying? When is it gonna take place? I don't know, but you've already been invited. Are you ready? I was kind of hoping it would happen during worship today. Now, worship was good. Do you, ever, do you ever start worshiping and just want to go right to heaven? Like just zoom, like, wouldn't it be so great to get raptured as you're just seeing your heart out and then you open your eyes and Jesus is there? That would be so good. But we're invited to that. And it's your choice. You know, in Revelation, you can read the book of Revelation for homework too if you want well at least 1920 and 21 22 in the book of revelation it talks about that married supper of the lamb that we're invited to but it talks about another supper and it talks about all of those who reject who are going to be killed and it says then the lord called all the birds of the air and they feasted on those bodies so here's my question you can either go to supper or you can be supper. (laughs) Your choice. That needs to be a bumper sticker. (laughs) But it's your choice, and you need to understand. Now, Now, I know, here's where people get upset. This is the second time we've come across this phrase, and some people get upset. For many are called, but few are chosen. They get all freaked out about that. So let's keep it in context of what we just read, and maybe this will help you out. Everybody was invited but only a few came. Why did they come? Because they wanted to. They chose to come and they were going, yes. And yet at the same time, they're chosen by God. See, the, there is this thing. We have volitional choices that we make in our lives every single day. But here's what else I know. God lives outside of time and space. And he's made choices. And just because he's made choices does never negate our ability to make choices. And especially in the area of salvation, everyone is called. Everyone is called. And so, are you chosen? Depends. Are you going to choose? I've had arguments with people before. They go, Well, how do I know if I'm chosen? I tell them, Well, receive Jesus right now and you'll be chosen. I don't want to. Then you're not. I get kind of blunt. They go, really? I'm not? And I go, no, you're not. Oh, well, I want to be chosen. Well, if you want to be chosen, choose Jesus. Well, I don't want to choose Jesus. Well, then you're not. (laughs) I don't like you. (laughs) I don't really care. But listen carefully, man. It doesn't take away our ability. Don't get into fatalism and all of that when you when you, you you understand God and how he works. And you know what? He's outside. He's big, he's huge, he's infinite, and we're finite. So here's the thing to do, just be in love with him and you'll be fine. And here's where I settle all of it. My God and the God of scripture is 100% righteous, 100% just, 100% pure, 100% faithful, 100% loving, and I can trust him. And that's where we need to settle it. Maybe your God's a little whacked, I don't know. My God, my God is not. And I can trust him. He makes a statement like that. I just go, okay, I don't have a problem with that because you're God and I'm not. So today, aren't you glad you're not a Pharisee on the Mount, Temple Mount talking to Jesus that day? Like, man, they've had a rough day. Now, hey, for the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at, man, they're not giving up. Like, these guys are tenacious about staying lost Like they do not want to get saved no matter what. You ever run into those people? So these guys are like, no. And so we're going to read some interaction because it's not over. This goes on for a couple days in their time frame. It'll go on for a few weeks in our time frame. But I want us to go away from here today understanding this. Who is Jesus? And what authority does he have? He's God. And he has all authority. And the good news is He died for your sins. And the greater news is he's saying, hey man, we're gonna have a wedding. So why don't you come? Why don't you come to the married supper of the Lamb and sit down and have a feast? Let's stand up and pray.